This is how we overcome the moving on the kingdom. Reaching to the world's arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we're starting a new series um, that I think excites all of us church nerds. Uh, And we're going to be talking about things that are not in the Bible, or at least what people maybe think are in the Bible, sometimes are maybe misquoted from the Bible. Uh, But things that we have been taught over the years, or we say ourselves, that we attribute to scripture but aren't actually in there. So Steve, where are we kicking the series off with? Well, um, we thought we would start with a saying that a lot of people have heard and therefore assume because it has God in it that it must come from the Bible and that a surprisingly and disappointingly large proportion of people when surveyed think are one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the sentence, God helps those who help themselves. So that's the, the the short proverb form that you hear this as. You'll hear people say things, God helps those who help themselves. Um, and spoiler alert, it's not in the Bible. Um, but if that's all we have to say, this will be a very short podcast series because we'll just say things and then go, not in the Bible. Let, let's unpack it and go... First of all, where does that sentiment come from? What do people think they mean? And maybe then we'll get to what might people be getting out of the Bible that sounds like that to them, or what does the Bible have to say on subjects like, whom does God help? Uh, maybe ultimately that's where we'll land. But maybe we should start a little bit with the history of that phrase or that sentiment, that idea, because it's been around for a long time, even older than the Bible itself, apparently. Yeah, so I was surprised when, you know, preparing for this episode to find out that it is uh, originated in ancient Greece, as probably as the gods help those who help themselves. Um, And I'm fascinated by that, because this might very well have been a phrase that Jesus himself would have heard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At least you can find some evidence that something along the same lines you can find in plays of Sophocles. I mean, like that's ancient, 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 even like before the, the certainly before the New Testament and on par with uh, some of the Old Testament writings as well. So old, old, old. And the, I, the, the, the gist of that sentiment, whether in ancient Greek or in English variations, has been picked up by other writers and then popularized in American culture. A lot of uh, English speakers or Americans attribute it to uh, Ben Franklin, who, again, popularized it, said that, and and wrote it, Mm -hmm. and was quoting uh, sources before him. There were other English writers like uh, Algernon Sidney and George Herbert who had quoted uh, that that proverb or that similar sentiment in their own writing. So it's been around for a long time, whether it was a god, the gods, many gods, or the god of Benjamin Franklin, who's sort of like a cosmic clockwork maker who then winds up the universe and walks away. Um, But that sentiment's been around for a long time. So what do you think is it about this phrase that people seem to find comfort in? Cause like, the, like it's been around and it's kind of mm-hmm. held on. Yeah. Like we've held on to it for so long in yeah. across different cultures and societies and religions. Yeah. So what is it about this phrase, God or gods help them help those who help themselves? Like, what is it that like people find either comfort in or something else but what's what what's about this phrase i think it gives us control Mm -hmm. Mm. you know it gives us a sense that we have 
some some level of control in our lives that you know if we do this that or the other and then that makes god have to do then this that or the other you know it and we've talked on this podcast before about god as a vending machine as a genie as you know um and that's not the god that we serve but it gives us that the idea that okay well if i do this and then Mm -hmm. god will then bless what Mm -hmm. i have done Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than saying hey god i want to do this right you know, is your blessing behind me in doing this? Right, right, right. And I think the flip side is true in that we look for explanations when things don't work or don't go the way we want. And it's easy then mm-hmm. to blame, well, clearly you didn't do your part. And that's why the thing that you wanted to have happen didn't happen. Like, I think, yeah. and this is a weird way to talk about comfort, but maybe deep down it is about comfort because we want a universe and uh heavenly realm as well that is explainable in our kind of terms and so even if it doesn't sound very pleasant that god only helps those who help themselves there's a certain comfort of well you know it's mechanistic it's you do your part and then god will do god's part and Mm -hmm. there's something comforting about the idea of a god who's predictable and bound to obey our rules that way and i think that that's a piece of it Maybe too, I, and I, again, maybe this is one of those places where it makes sense in a weird way that um, a certain strand of American religion picked up on this because there was that uh, era in American history um, that is often sort of uh, dubbed having the Protestant work ethic where you mm-hmm. can show that you have God's blessing by working hard. And when you prosper, that's evidence that God has blessed you, that you're one of the elect. And if you would ask a Calvinist, you know, does God wait for you to do your part before blessing you? A Calvinist would say, no, no, God predestined you from the beginning of creation to be wealthy or successful or whatever. But you show it forth by the way you work so hard. But how really easy it is for that to slide into um, you do your part. And by working hard, that will merit God, you know, responding with favor on you and helping you because you've done your part. And I think there is something that appeals to us. We who live in a country that tell the myth of you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is originally a saying about something impossible. And we've in our mm-hmm. culture turned it into no, a thing you can totally do. And if you're really a self-starter, you will. Um, we've turned to say a statement like that and turned it into, yeah, God, God backs it up. God backs up the if you want to be successful, it's it's really up to you and there's nothing hindering you and God's blessing is only on those who do that kind of self-starting. That sounds particularly appealing to Americans. And we also have this tendency to believe that, you know, a sign of God's blessing is being prosperous. Right. Where those who are not prosperous means that, you know, God is not blessing them, maybe not cursing them, but like, you know, they don't have, and yet being prosperous, yes, sometimes is a blessing from God. But a lot of times it's because you've worked at it. Right, right. Well, you and, know. and I'd, I'd push even further. I think there's a strong strand of the Old Testament and New Testament that sees wealth more often as an, uh, an indicator of wickedness. If you've done something wrong, if uh, you mm-hmm. because you've made a fortune off the backs of people around you, maybe not always, but there's a strong strand within the New Testament yeah. and the Old Testament as well that are like, if you're rich and your neighbors are hungry, you're doing it wrong. Um, and that uh, wealth, in at least in some in some cultural milieus of the the scriptures, is assumed that if you if you've got an abundance and others are going without, it's come at their expense, and they you know you've stolen from them in some sense um so yeah that like and again like how how if that sounds weird to our ears 
it's 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 something is is off or different about all our culture and as, as 21st century Americans, and it's been there in the Bible all along. So it sounds like part of part of why this might be something we keep coming back to is it gives a certain weird comfort of letting us be in control or, or telling ourselves that we're in control. And that if I choose to work hard, God will bless me and respond. If I choose to be lazy, then uh, but it, it sort of control rests with me. It sounds like it also is comforting in that it reinforces the story that at least American culture often wants to tell itself that your success is uh, starts with you and your hard work and nothing mm -hmm. else. Um, and that anything good is something you've earned or merited. Um, I mean, like a, a God helps those who help themselves kind of theology has very little room for grace. It it also, to me, at least I hear it and it lets me off the hook for helping others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if God's going to help those who help themselves, then I don't need to help people who need help. Right. Because right. if only they would help themselves, mm -hmm. then God would help them. Right. You know, so it, it kind of lets me off the hook mm -hmm. of doing that hard work. Yeah. And there's a certain like rugged individualism baked into that thinking mm -hmm. of like nobody else has helped you. You've gotten where you are simply by your own work and your own sweat and your own, uh, you know, ingenuity. And so everybody else can do it that way too. Nobody is disadvantaged or nobody is like, you know, you got to do it yourself. And that to say that God blesses that or God helps that also sort of suggests that God endorses that system of that way of doing things, right? That, that, yep, not only has God helped those who help themselves, God has uh, affirmed that, that that's the way the system should be. Um, and again, it, it makes it really easy if you are doing well to say, not just I'm doing well, but God endorses my doing well and does not ask anything else of me. I bear no responsibility mm -hmm. to anybody else because I've done this by my sheer own ingenuity and work and labor rather than no others have helped me. <laughs> so I was watching The Help a couple of weeks ago um, for like the hundredth time or whatever. And there's, there's a scene in there where um, one of the maids is asking her employer for help to send her twin boys to college mm -hmm. and um the housewife uh, you know says to her well you know god helps those who help themselves mm. and she's like you know she's getting across i'm just trying to help you like you need to work for this i mean mm -hmm. this is the woman who's working her butt off and not making enough to send both of her boys to school uh -huh. and i i remember hearing that even before we had planned this series and i'm just like oh that is just Mm. yeah it irks me so bad yeah. I mean, it's a piece of fiction but still like that's the mentality that goes with it and and that that thought of here's somebody who's working and is simply not being paid enough to be able to provide i mean like that that's that's this, this gaping yeah. hole in the logic of god helps those who help themselves that it assumes if you're working hard uh by by definition the world will reward you properly mm -hmm. and you'll be able to survive whereas like no th there is such a thing as someone who takes advantage of their employees or you know uh makes children work in a sweatshop to make you know cheap uh, athletic wear for americans or i mean like there there are those ways people get taken advantage of and that it's not a matter of um god not helping them it's people can do terrible wicked things and we live in a world where yeah those things happen and god doesn't immediately stop you know stop those things from happening which maybe is another conversation why if god is just do you know can people run roughshod on others that's the conversation and again it, it, it's almost like the the god helps those who help themselves mentality 
allows me not to have to think about, well, why does injustice mm-hmm. happen? It isn't unjust when people suffer, they haven't worked hard enough or they haven't done their part. It sort of allows, yeah. it, it's it's a cheap, sloppy way out of theodicy, but it, it's a way out of the question of why do bad things happen? Well, they're not really bad. It turns out that's God's punishment or judgment on people who didn't work hard enough or were foolish enough to be taken advantage of, that kind of thing. I guess I wonder if we've talked a little bit about where this came from, maybe culturally and what makes it appealing. um, Let's let's maybe also play devil's advocate for a moment and say, what are reasons somebody might think this is in the Bible? Or are there places in the Bible where there's enough of a trajectory that like, oh, yeah, maybe I could twist that into saying God helps those who help themselves. Or are there places in the Bible that the opposite should be said and like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is just the opposite of God helps those who help themselves. How does the biblical witness actually interact with this idea? So something that this this motto or phrase reminds me of is some of the stories about the patriarchs in Genesis. Okay. And how the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, uh, Jacob, they all seem to have like almost this snowball effect of they would commit themselves to serving and worshiping God. God Uh would bless them. They would take those blessings, which was often in material goods or Mm -hmm. people, and they would multiply it. Like, you know, uh, I'm thinking in particular about Jacob and how he could be given like seven unhealthy lambs from his father-in-law and then by the next season have like 30 new lambs or something like something super like major. And he would be able to just kind of keep multiplying and having healthy livestock because God was blessing him. And it was like this kind of snowball effect, though, of God giving Jacob blessings and then Jacob being able to multiply it. Yeah. And so that's not exactly God helping those who help themselves, but it it has a very similar feel to mm-hmm. me. Mhm. Mhm. I even think too like there's this interesting scene uh in in the story of Jacob um uh, right after he has that that uh, dream about the angels coming up and down on the ladder, you know, or the the stairway. Um, and at the end of that, God speaks to him and says like as a unconditional unilateral promise from God's side, I will bless you. I will you know, take you to safety and I'll bring you back here and I'll, you know, continue to bless you. And then when Jacob wakes up from that dream, he says, I'm going to make a shrine here and God, I'm going to promise that I'll give you some of my blessing. And I'm going to get like, he, he seems insistent on earning this thing that God has just offered him or promised him as a blanket promise. And there's some part of me, you know, like we, we don't know what to do with that detail as, as maybe this is me owning my Lutheranness, yeah. but I, I read that detail and go like, you dummy, God didn't require you to do any of those things. God gave mm-hmm. you a gift of grace, you moron. And here you are trying to make this a transaction where you earn God's favor. But you could also read that as see the appropriate thing to do is I'll do my part and then God will give in the blessings and chronologically. Yep. God eventually gives him the blessing. Therefore it must be God has blessed him because he helped himself. When I think it's more like, nope, Jacob is a schemer and he still sees the world as the, uh, you know, through the lens of being a schemer and has made promises that he did not need to make or vowed things to do things for God that God does not need. But God I, promised the blessings before right, Jacob exa- does something. Exactly, exactly. And yet how often we want to twist it and turn it into, no, but I had to earn it, right? So I have to do mm-hmm. this and this and this and this. I, I think too, even of like, 
the the uh, blessing that is pronounced on some of the Davidic kings in the the later kingdom in Israel's life, and how um, you know Solomon is, is remembered for having his vast wealth and power and building the temple and all this sort of thing, and that often that's treated as see he worked hard, he expanded his kingdom, and therefore God blessed him and did his part. When, again, to read the whole swath of that storytelling, it's God says in advance to David, I'm going to bless your descendants before they're even born. I'm making this promise. Mm -hmm. And that it's not that they've earned it by their hard work. And that sometimes even their quote unquote hard work is on the backs of their citizens and they start building empires rather than doing what God wants anyway. That even there, the wealth isn't seen as a sign of God's blessing, but an early sign of they're headed down the the direction of becoming a new pharaoh or becoming, uh, you know, wicked or something like that. But you can read that as, see the kings of Israel when they were, you know, were, did their part and were faithful and good. God blessed them when that's not really how those stories are remembered in the, in the Bible itself. I'm thinking of Romans 4, where Paul is talking about Abraham and uh-huh. Abraham um, being a righteous person and, and how Abraham's not called righteous because of what he did for God. Right. He's called righteous because he put his faith in God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that righteousness is not because of anything that he did. Yes, he went forth and he, you know, he became a great nation. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we've talked about them. Mm-hmm. But it's not, again, this is a blessing that God gave to Abraham before Abraham ever did anything. Right, right. Now, the flip side of that, too, is anybody who's read the epistle of James will be like, well, James used the example of Abraham and see, as says, see, he you know, by his works proved that he was righteous because he offered up his son uh, for the sacrifice or Rahab, you know, uh, helped the mm-hmm. spies out and therefore was blessed. Um, again, I, I think that's more James is more interested in you got to care for your neighbor and don't just say I've got faith, but it doesn't show up in the way you care for your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, and to read James in wider context, he's, you know, more interested in don't just you know talk a good game. But it, it would be easy to take those passages out of James and pit them against Paul and go, well, at least James seems to think because Abraham did his part. That's why God blessed him. But to read Genesis itself doesn't doesn't tell it that way, huh? But James also says, you know, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. And that's why he focuses on on those work side of it, because it's not just about faith. It's what right. you do with that faith. Right, right, right. But the faith is what starts it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and again, it, well, we might even say in both of these cases that it's it's really about God who, whose grace even starts the faith and works, you know, in the, in the you know, it's, it's God who reaches out to us in yeah. the first place. Um, it's God who says to Abraham while he's minding his own business uh, in Ur of the Chaldeans, hey, I'm going to bless you. And there's no strings. You know, I, this here, mm-hmm. here's a gift I'm giving you. You haven't done a thing and you haven't even promised to do me a thing, do it, you know, do a thing for me. I'm going to bless you. Um, I guess the other thing that I have a hard time wrapping my brain around when we enter in a conversation about this helping those who help themselves thing is how often the scriptures describe God as the one who looks out for those who are not in a position to help themselves. You know, like right. in particular, the scriptures, talk, you know, like what is God like that God is the one who lifts up the lowly. God is the one who cares for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner mm-hmm. God. You know, and that Jesus sort of take, you know, doubles down on that and, you know, talks about, you know, I was, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and gave me something to drink that Jesus seems to point our direction toward God as the one who, who helps those who cannot help themselves or who are in a position where there is no relief for them. Um, and that I guess, I guess it becomes, uh, 
who who are we going to trust on this? A handful of possible Bible passages uh, read in questionable context or Jesus, who seems to be the one who interprets for us. Nope, God is the one particularly who's uh, who helps those who are not in a position or who can't do anything for themselves. I, I guess I even think about like the central story of the Hebrew scriptures, the, the the basic beginning to ancient Israel's memory of itself is the story of the Exodus. And here's a nation mm-hmm. of people who are enslaved and that God's response to them after 400 years. And God doesn't say, sorry, if you'd initiate a revolt, I'd back you or something like that. It's not that God blames them as the victims for your slavery. How come you're still stuck in slavery? You should have done your part. But that God sort of enters the story and goes, you know, the. the I have to enter the story on your behalf and be the one who delivers you precisely because you are powerless otherwise. So that it's it's God who acts on behalf of the powerless again and again and again in the scriptures, not God who pats on the back those who have power and use it. And the one he chooses to help them escape Egypt says to God in the burning bush, you know, I, I, I don't speak well. You know, I mm-hmm. yeah, I was, you know, in part of Pharaoh's family, but like, I don't speak well. I'm not the right person. He, he's trying to come up with a, a million excuses of why he is not to be chosen. Right. And yet God chooses Moses because that's who God chooses to use. And yeah. Moses is going to only do what he does with God's help. Um, but otherwise he would, you know, if he went back there and tried to free the, free the Jewish people. Right. 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 Wouldn't have made it anywhere. Well, and uh, that's such a helpful point that it's not that Moses has the bright idea. Oh, I should free my people. Uh, let me see if God will help me with my project. It's God who has to drag Moses kicking and screaming <laughs> into, I picked you for something you're not qualified for oh, and fine. not equipped mm-hmm. to do. Watch how I do this thing. Um, and it will be through you, but not, I'm not waiting for you to kick start this. I'm, I'm, I'm the one setting this into motion and how over and over and over again, that's the storytelling too, that it's God who sets things into motion. Yep. Through people, but that all Often it's people who would not have done this on their own or who fight against. I mean, every prophet's story starts with them telling God, I'm not I'm not right for the job. You know, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips or I'm just a child or whatever. Mm-hmm. And God saying, nope, I'm picking you. Um, so it, it does seem like the, the the whole sweep of the, the scriptures, Old Testament, and New Testament alike, have this sense of God doesn't wait for us to help ourselves or do our part first. God is often the one who moves first and. Um, at some point, yeah, we discover we have gifts or a role in the story or whatever, but that it's not God sitting on divine hands going, mm, I can't, I can't do anything until they move first. Could I ask, um, if, and maybe, maybe we're all easily pretty, pretty easily persuaded that it, that this, this sentence was not true in the first place, but okay. If, if we're saying, okay, the Bible doesn't actually say God helps those who help themselves. In fact, the opposite, God has a particular soft spot for those who are most helpless or most in need. Is there a flip side to, are there, are there um, dangers or ways we can get complacent if we end the conversation there? Like, is, is there, is there a point to be made about, doing your part or how do we know what's our part and what's God's part to do and how do we avoid Mm. maybe a complacency so the ELCA's big slogan right now and has been for a little while is God's work our hands Mm -hmm. and I recently heard a rebuttal of that (laughs) it should be like our work or you know it should be more inclusive of like God's work is our work or our Mm -hmm. work is God's work okay and uh, so like this, um, you know, God helps those who helps themselves. You know, I think 
we need to remember that God works through unexpected people. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes us. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily for our own benefit, but, but for the benefit of others, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think... I don't think we should be letting ourselves off the hook for okay. either helping ourselves or helping others, mm-hmm. but rather like we are called into God's community mm-hmm. and part of being in community is in being in relationship and helping one another. Mm-hmm. There's a piece of me that, as you say, that reminds me of the story of Esther in the uh, late in the story of ancient Israel in the, in the uh, Hebrew scriptures. And you know, here's one of those stories where the the line that's put to her, and it's the closest you get to a mention of God, really, in that whole book, is, you know, uh, if you don't step up right now and act up on behalf of your people, help will come from another quarter, mm-hmm. uh, but you and your family will be lost. But who knows, but that this is the time for which you've been put into such a place for, you know, for such a time as this. Um, and, and when Mordecai says that to Esther, um, you could certainly hear that in sort of a God will only help if you do your part first, it, that's not really what Mordecai seems to be saying. He seems to guarantee if you don't, God's going to still act here. So if the question is whether God's going to work through you or in spite of you, you dummy. Uh, but um, ultimately, Esther realizes her role is to step step up and advocate on behalf of her people. Um, and at no point in the story do we get like a divine narrator going, and so God worked through Esther, but it's just sort of left there. Esther did her thing, and we're left to conclude God was at work in that situation, in that story, or God was the one who put her in those, or used that circumstance for her to be able to help save her people when the time came. Um but it's, it, I guess one of the challenges is so much of our lived life, we talked about when we talked about that book uh, several years ago, um, that our lives often feel a lot more like the book of Esther than they do the book of Exodus. That rarely do we get to hear a voice from a burning bush telling us, do this, do that, here's my grand plan. And a lot more, it's we're into difficult circumstances and listening to the wise voices around us. And somebody goes, maybe this is what you've been called to step up to do. And in that moment, it can feel like, Oh, I guess this is my job, not God's. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's maybe the, it's not an either or. Maybe my acting is exactly how God is working through this circumstance. And instead of it's either or, maybe it can be a both and. And since every believer is promised at least a gift from God, a spiritual gift of something, teaching, preaching, mercy, whatever, there's a whole list of them in scripture and in things beyond scripture. If we're true, if we know what that gift is and we choose not to use it then what kind of scenario does that put us into you know is that to take it as strongly as possible is that actually sinful to not use the Mm -hmm. gifts that we know that we have been given yeah well and it it feels to me kind of like jesus parable about the talents right the guy who buries it in the ground because he's afraid of doing something wrong with it and even like even there all of those scenarios presume God's initiative already, who's given the spiritual gift in the first mm-hmm. place, or the person who gives the talents of gold or whatever in the first place. Um, that, that like if if we're asking about the the proposition, God helps those who help themselves, even any of those situations are God's already started the situation by giving you the gift, putting that resource in your hand. Yeah, there will be questions about what you do with what's been placed in your hand, but please don't live under the illusion that God's waiting for you to ambitiously grab something first before God's going to move. God's already given Mm -hmm. you the talent, the ability, the gift, the whatever in the first place. And maybe that's, that's, uh, 
at the heart of this, the thing that, that maybe makes people most uncomfortable about the idea that God doesn't only help those who help themselves, but that all of us start out with God having done something for us that we didn't earn in the first place. And we don't like that idea that we aren't self-made men and women. And we don't mm-hmm. like the idea that we're not self-made, uh, that we've accomplished things on our own, but that everything starts with, nope, it was a gift. Your existence is a gift. And if that's where we start, then there's no point at which I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. My boots were a gift in the first place. My feet were a gift in the first, you know, everything is, is a gift in the first place. And that prevents me from getting cocky about, look what I did with my own ability. And that's why God's rewarding me. So if you've been with us so far in the conversation, um, We're going to be continuing on in the rest of this series, taking a look at other statements or ideas that somehow floated into our brains collectively as a culture that were in the Bible and turn out not to be. And next time we're going to carry this idea a little bit further with the idea of is God only going to help me if I have a certain enough uh, amount of faith or, or pray for it hard enough or something like that. So carrying on that same kind of idea is the conversation next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.